I'm going to be um, speaking today from Luke chapter 5. And this is a kind of a bit of a spin-off from uh, preaching two weeks ago from Matthew 5 as part of the Kingdom of God series. This is not the Kingdom of God series, but I think it might kind of be (laughs) dovetailing in. I was... You know how in the different Gospels you get different parts that are repeated and, you know, you kind of see, well, what's it got in this Gospel and what does it say in in that Gospel? And so when I was reading through it, I particularly was drawn to um, verses 36 to 39. And I'll just read it out to you. He told them this parable. No one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it onto an old one. If he does, he will have a torn new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins, for if he does, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for he says the old is better. Now I like, I suppose I liked the fact that they were talking about the old and the new and the patches and the wineskins. And I, and you know, it, it kind of caught my attention. And so I've done some reading around on that. And I basically want to talk, there are three sections to this. Um, and it's going to be, they're fairly self-evident sections. First one is old and new patches. The second one is new wine and new wineskins. And the third one, I haven't got a short little phrase, but it's I put here, after the old mature wine, no one wants the new. So that's the third section. And I know that sounds a bit kind of negative, but um, I think when we get to that point, hopefully I'll be able to kind of explain it. And I suppose the first thing that I want to say is that this is about, this passage is about the impact of Jesus and the message of the kingdom on the individual believer. Um, I I haven't actually got my Bible up here because I've kind of, I've cut and pasted the verses that I need on here. But obviously when you look at Matthew 5 or Luke chapter 5, this is in a whole kind of series of Jesus um, speaking. And his audience would have been mainly Jewish people. And uh, so this is about, as I say, the impact of Jesus on the individual believer. Now, if I've got a hole in a pair of trousers, let's take Jack's school trousers. Having had girls before who never seem to wear out their clothes, it's been quite interesting to have a boy because trousers always seem to get worn out. And they get that hole, don't they? It all goes thin here. And you get those little holes. Now, you kind of think, would I buy a new pair of trousers, cut a bit out of the new trousers to patch up the old ones? Of course I wouldn't. It would be madness, wouldn't it, to do that? After all, if I'm going to buy new trousers, I can just have the new trousers. Um, So we can't take that approach to our belief systems. We can't take what we've got that maybe have a few gaps in it and take something new and take a bit out of the new and stick it on to cover up the hole. Um, 
So Jesus is, is kind of saying to his audience that they can't take some elements of his new teaching and just fit it in to their current beliefs. Now, I'm not going to give you a whole history, you'll be pleased to know, of the Jewish people and what they believed. Um, but we, we know, don't we, from all the stuff that we've looked at over a period of time, that the Jews had a particular view about the Messiah. You know, they'd grown, gone through history with the, the, the laws, and they were looking for the Messiah who was going to come along and make everything better. Um, so what Jesus was saying to them is that they had to take all of his message. They couldn't just take part of his message and patch it on to their beliefs. It's too fundamentally different. Um, and he was wanting them to, he want, was wanting to challenge their thinking. And if you can remember back to two weeks ago, I know I have trouble sometimes. <laughs> Do you remember when I was looking at that bit in Matthew where Jesus was saying, you have heard it said, but I tell you this. And so that he was challenging their thinking. They've got this established thinking and he was challenging their thinking. And in this particular passage about the, um, the old and the new patches, he's saying, you have to accept the whole message of the kingdom and get rid of that other bit. You can't just tack it on altogether. And so, you know, what I wanted to say to you is there's a limit for us. Okay, we're not those Jewish people sitting listening to Jesus on the hillside. But when we came to know Jesus, we had our own kind of belief system before we met him. And so... I wanted to say to you, first of all, that there has to be a limit to us too about how much we can mix up old and new. Because, I don't know about you, but I've, my, um, my behaviour has changed since getting born again. And probably more importantly, what goes on in here has changed since I got born again. And obviously what goes on in here and what goes on in here influences my behavior and what comes out of my mouth. Um, so we can't approach our gospel with the idea that we're going to keep some of the stuff that we had and we're going to pull in the things that maybe we like. It's a whole message. And I was thinking about, um, I had this kind of picture of a supermarket. Um, and my, I have a friend, a couple of weeks ago, we had a little kind of college reunion, and I met up with a friend who, now, who I was at college with, who now lives in Australia. I haven't seen her for about 15 years. And we had this kind of Saturday afternoon buffet get-together, and it was fantastic to sort of spend time with her and everything. And, you know, we had the usual kind of buffet stuff. It was a cold buffet. She said... I can't believe Sainsbury's. She said, I've been in Sainsbury's this morning. And she said, I'm amazed. She said, all those different hams. 
And she started going on about how wonderful Sainsbury's was. And you kind of think, well, I'm just used to Sainsbury's, you know. But she talked about how in Australia, where she is, the, the choice is so much more limited. She said, you've got so much choice. She said, it, it's unbelievable. Um, and so I was thinking this morning, with our faith and with our belief, we can't be like going around the supermarket self-selecting and thinking, well, I'll have something off the love shelf and I'll have something off the church shelf, but actually I'm walking past the obedience products or I'm walking past, you know, the Lordship of Christ tin. We can't, we can't do that. If we accept Jesus, we have to accept the whole package. Um, now, I appreciate that all of you, like me, are on a process, aren't we? We've got born again, but we're on that process of sanctification or being made holy. So we're not going to know from the outset about everything in our life that needs getting kind of straightened out. And certainly my experience has been that as God has dealt with me, so other things have come up. And what perhaps was okay five years ago is not so okay now because God's kind of put his finger on it and pointed out something about my attitude or my, or my thoughts. So we know we're going to go through that kind of process, but we mustn't, as I say, we mustn't have a kind of pick-and-mix approach to our faith. We have to take the whole lot. And of course, when we're talking to people like, you know, little angels or in other circumstances, we often come across too, don't we, who actually don't want the whole package, they want the nice bit, they want to be loved perhaps and be cared for, but maybe they're not willing to accept the lordship of Jesus in their life and laying that control down. And I was thinking that actually if we don't accept the whole package, how can we expect to experience the fullness of Jesus because it's like we're saying well I'll have this bit and I'll have this bit but actually we need all of him so that's about the patches okay I want to move on to the wine now I, I've been very controlled with this I thought I could make all sorts of interesting amusing remarks about wine and in fact Jack said you know when Keith was encouraging us to take a big slurp Jack said, oh, well, get drunk then. I said, no, the Bible speaks about that too. <laughs> um, but with the wine, um, this kind, the new wine and the new wineskins, I think, have a bit of a link to the patches, but it's just kind of shifting the emphasis. And I think the link is that the new has to fit into the new because the old can't contain it. Now, I don't know whether we've got any wine experts here. Um, my limited knowledge about wine is that when the new wine is fermenting, there's a lot of bubbling and gases, and it kind of expands. So if you were to put new wine into a glass bottle and put the cork in, you'd either have the corks popping off and the stuff flowing out, or you'd have the bottles breaking um, because of that expansion that goes on. But when wine is mature, it's just, I'm going to say still, it doesn't have that same 
um, kind of effect. Um, and so if I try and link to the old and new patches, Jesus is saying here with the new wine and the new wineskins, you can't put new wine into old wineskins. You have to put the new wine into new wineskins um, so that you, know, you can't just go with the old. Now, I haven't got pictures of old wineskins, but I had a look on the internet, and I'm sure some of you will be aware of this. A wineskin was made out of some kind of animal skin, and basically they kind of chopped the legs off. Sorry, got rid of the insides, chopped the legs off, sewed the holes up, and that was kind of their wineskin. It was, you know, that inside bit. And what happens when those kind of skins get old is they get very stiff and there's no movement. And I think actually you could do this with them. You know, there'd be that kind of knocking noise. And I think a good example would be anybody who uses the chamois leathers. You know, when they've got the water in them, they're lovely, aren't they? But when you've hung them out to dry, they're kind of stuck in that kind of position and you get them off the line and they're like... And you have to make them damp again. Well, that's the kind of old wineskin, new wineskin. The old wineskin is fixed. The new wineskin is all lovely and subtle. So if you put the new wine in the new wineskin and it kind of gets gaseous and bubbles and expands, then the wineskin can with it. Um, so in terms of us accepting... Jesus and accepting the whole package, we got born again, didn't we? We got made new. And we got made new because we had to be new to accept that whole new thing. Now, the other side of that, the other picture that often new wine is used for is to represent the Holy Spirit. And uh, I was thinking about the disciples in Acts chapter 2. Um, and I've just... I've, I've got this little bit here. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. I've cut out all the difficult words in the middle that said what country they were from. <laughs> Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. And I just think, if, I don't know what it would have been like to have been there on that day, but imagine, that was, to me, that's a picture of the new wine just kind of overflowing um, out the side there. They, those disciples, when they experienced that baptism of power and of the they, they couldn't contain it. I bet, I bet half of them hadn't got a clue, had they, about what was happening to them. They just knew that they were experiencing this and it was having an effect on them. And I think that's a really good picture of, of the new wine. It's spilt over the top. Now, I've got some verses here just to remind us about how we were made new. Um, and I know, in a way, this is like sorry about the pun, preaching to the converted. <laughs> but when I was looking and reading round, um, obviously we had to be made new 
in that process, we had to be born again. We had to start afresh because before that we were unspiritual men and women. And in order to be spiritual men and women, we had to go through that new birth process. And I suppose I just wanted to remind you, realize, of those elements. Now, John 3, obviously, I appreciate, is dead famous. Um, And I've just got this bit here where he's talking to Nicodemus. And Jesus said to him, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And Nicodemus said, well, how can a man be born when he's old? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. We're so used to that now, we can't imagine what it must have been like for Nicodemus to hear that for the first time. To tell him something that just blew his mind away in all his understanding about his faith and his belief. And Jesus was telling him to do something which he, on a kind of natural level, would have thought, this guy is bonkers. You know, I can't, I can't be born again. I'm a fully grown man. Um, and I suppose that's the kind of shift in thinking that Jesus brings into our lives, isn't it? Now, I found a fantastic um, quote in Ezekiel, which kind of describes what happens to us um, in that born-again process. Um, And if someone can find one in the New Testament for me afterwards, that would be great, because I couldn't find one. This is Ezekiel 36, verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And I thought that was a fantastic explanation about that process of of new birth, how we get that new heart and a new spirit We've got a heart of flesh, so it's a soft heart, and that he puts the spirit within us who moves us to follow the decrees and the law. So it's no longer that the law is on the outside to be imposed. We have the spirit moving us within to respond to those things. Um, So all that process was wrapped up in getting born again and basically giving us or making us like new wineskins so that we could contain the new wine that Jesus was bringing, that whole new spiritual experience of him being with us, him being the Lord of our life, him being closer than a brother. Um, All that is like the new wine being poured in. And that's why we had to go through that process of change. And then in Romans 7 verse 6, it says this, But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, 
so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Now, obviously, we know from looking at what Jesus said, he wasn't there to abolish the law. He was there to fulfill it. And what this is saying is that we've got the Spirit on our insides helping us to fit in with the law. It's not the law being imposed on us. So we've been through all of that, and here we are today. (laughs) Um, And I've got a couple of questions for you, really. Um, Well, I, I suppose a comment. How do we stay fresh and supple and kind of expandable like that new wineskin? Because we could settle, couldn't we? We could, our attitudes can can change. And I, I think about cynicism. I don't know about you, but I come across a lot of cynical people, especially at work. I suppose that's where I'm rubbing shoulders most often with a range of different people. And, you know, there's nothing quite so, I don't know, damning sometimes as cynicism. It's like, it just pops the bubble, doesn't it? Someone being cynical about something. You know, you could have an idea, you could be following something, and it's like they go, pop! And you go, phew! Now, obviously, you know, not every idea is fantastic, but people who are cynical, they always pop. They're always kind of deflating, bringing down. And, you know, we need to be careful that we don't take on any of those attitudes because it will have the same effect. You know, somebody could come up with a, a different way of doing things or talk to somebody about something. And a cynical response is like popping. And it's Sorry, I have to do this because it's a kind of... Um, I don't know how to describe it, but for me, it's like a painful thing, Um, and it causes damage. It doesn't build anybody up. It doesn't help anybody. It causes damage, and we really need to be careful that we have those hearts of flesh, you know, and a soft heart, um, and that we keep our attitudes right. Um, There's a quote in uh, Zechariah. Um, I appreciate this is completely out of context but I just wanted to show something to you it's Zechariah 7 verse 12 and it is out of context okay but it said this they made their hearts as hard as flint and would not listen to the law or to the words that the Lord Almighty had sent by his spirit through the earlier prophets so the Lord Almighty was very angry and I think actually I know sin is sin But I think that it must cause God pain if our attitudes harden towards him and his work or his son. Um, I think, I don't know whether it, well it probably does make him angry, but it's it's hurtful, isn't it? That, um, and wouldn't you, wouldn't you feel, wouldn't you feel desperate? You know, if we get to the pearly gates and we have that kind of conversation and God says, you know, you, you've got a bit hard-hearted. I don't know about you, but that would, wouldn't it just kind of pull you up short? And I kind of think, actually, I don't want to be pulled up short at the pearly gates. <laughs> I'd rather be pulled up short now 
by the Holy Spirit so that he can do something about that. Then get to that, that point when you've realised that you've kind of missed something. Um, so it's a little, you know, just a reminder there that we need to keep, um, keep ourselves fresh. And obviously there's Romans 12, which is about renewing of the mind. Um, and that's a process that I think we need to actively engage the Holy Spirit in. I believe that a renewing of our mind took place when we got born again. But I think sometimes we have to learn to think differently and act differently. And I know something God has spoken to me about and sometimes has had to set me free from, that's where, that's that ongoing process, isn't it? And so I think we need to be saying to the Holy Spirit, you know, keep renewing my thinking. Don't let me fall into old ways or don't let me fall into set ways. Let me have that thinking renewed. And I was kind of thinking, how do we keep a heart of flesh? Well, the, only, the two things I thought of, we need to stay close to Jesus and we need to stay full of the Holy Spirit. I think that's the only way that we keep our hearts soft and responsive, not hard and fixed. Because you only just, I don't know, I suppose because I've read the Gospels a lot recently, in doing this prep, particularly doing this preparation, you read what Jesus did and the words sometimes that he spoke to somebody and you just, it just, I don't know, it gets me right here. Um, I have a kind of emotional response to how he seemed to be able to bring that right moment, that right word into a situation and touch somebody and, and change them. Um, and I think the more we kind of stay close to him, the more we can be confident that our hearts will be soft the other thing that I think is really important is that we understand that we're free. I think, um, I think as human, human beings like, generally kind of quite like rules and guidance. We, we want, it's almost like we tend to want to be set off in a certain path and so it's dead clear exactly what we've got to do. Um, if you look in Galatians, in Galatians 5 verse 1, which I haven't put down here, it talks about, um, perhaps somebody could read it for me because I've forgotten the exact words, freedom in Christ and don't get yoked again. Could somebody read it out for me, please? Galatians 5 verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So, I really think we need to kind of um, almost revisit our understanding about freedom in Christ because I think so quickly we get burdened. Um, and, you know, even if it's things like we have responsibilities, you know, we have family responsibilities or we have job responsibilities, I think sometimes we carry those responsibilities and obviously they're right for us to have those responsibilities but at the same time we really need to make sure that we still have that appreciation of the freedom of Christ the freedom that he's brought us into 
Um, otherwise, we might as well go and be Jews, do you know what I mean, and have the laws and just do the laws. But we mustn't lose that freedom. And I, I think I'd encourage us to go back almost and almost say to the Lord and ask the Holy Spirit to just give you that sense of your freedom in Christ. And I just want to point out verse 13 in the same chapter that Anne's just read. It's liberation, it's not license. So it talks about us having freedom, but not so that we trample on other people. This is not about just doing my thing. Um, so, you know, particularly in the context of a church family, um, I can't think of a reasonable example. I'm not going to go for a silly example because I might regret it. <laughs> but, you know, we need to be careful that our free behavior doesn't hurt another person and doesn't pull them down or affect their faith. Um, so that's just a kind of a balance there. But just to kind of tack, off, tack on to the, the freedom aspect, I wanted to challenge you to be adventurous in your faith and your appetite for the new. Some months ago, I think we had a sense that God was saying to us that he was doing something new. And it can be quite a challenge, can't it, to kind of look back and think, well, where, you know, when was that and where are the new shoots? And I think there are different things that we've seen that are new. But you'll be aware that we've talked about wanting to make sure that people... Um, can have opportunities to respond or to take on new things. Um, I know at the prayer meeting on Wednesday, and obviously not everybody was at the prayer meeting, Tim talked about how we're kind of reshaping the rotor for August because it was nearly doing us in, trying to sort the rotor out for August. And so we decided just to say, okay, Let's forget that bit of the rotor and let's come up with something else which is more um, responsive to um, our situation with holidays and all that kind of thing. But the other thing that um, Tim and Keith were sharing at the same time was that you know, we're looking for people who are responding to the provocation of the spirit or the invitation of other people to maybe step into something new. Um, we shared about um, building-wise um, some of our hopes in terms of building. And I think I will make sure that Tim kind of encompasses some of the things that were said on Wednesday down onto a sheet of paper so everybody gets the same kind of message. Um, but we can't just stay as we are um, and we need to be open to how God will lead us and I suppose that's why I want to bring the challenge to you to be adventurous um, and to think okay God what, what, what have you got for me in these next few months how can I serve you or um, you know, what can I do that's different because the one thing I wanted to point out this is not about um, you know, can I take on any more jobs? All right, I want to make that quite clear. That's not about expanding your list of jobs. Um, but this is about 
Lord, am I in the position that you want me to be so that you can move me and direct me according to your plans? And so that's the challenge for you to be adventurous and dream about what God might do and ask him to give you those dreams um, and those visions. Isaiah 43 verse 19, we've got those wonderful words. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland because I provide water in the desert and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen people, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. God provides us with water, new wine, the Holy Spirit, um, to give us a drink. And to put it like that seems a bit kind of, I don't know, puny really, a drink. You just kind of think, a drink is not anything, is it? But we know that that kind of drinking and that thirst that Jesus talks about was a drinking and a thirst, which is not just about picking up a cup and quenching a physical thirst. It's about drinking of the Spirit and thirsting of the Spirit. And I suppose my other challenge to you is um, to think, am I, this is, I'm looking at these words down here now thinking, yes, this sounds a bit kind of odd really, but am I elastic enough to stretch and respond? You know, am I fixed like an old wineskin? Um, or am I in that kind of, am I flexible? Can I stretch? You know, can I flow with the spirit into something which is different from what I've done before? Because my mind is open to doing something different. I'm not set. Um, so I'll, I'll leave that there. But that's what I kind of um, I feel, that we need to, to have that um, sense of being able to drink of the Spirit and allow, allow ourselves to expand in some way to contain that spirit. Sorry, I have to do all these kind of little, because it, it just some of these things you can't express in words, can you? Somehow they're a kind of a physical thing or a, an image thing. But um, So my challenge, so we need to have the whole package of Jesus. We can't just take one bit and tack it on. Um, if we have the whole package of, of Jesus, then we I think it's only fair if you like, we can experience the fullness of Jesus. We can't have a little bit and still want the fullness. We've got to have the whole package, okay? Um, we have been made new. How are we going to stay fresh? How are we going to stay soft-hearted? And we need that renewing of our mind. We need to be full of the Spirit. We need to stay close to Jesus. And... We need to think about adventure, adventures in God and um, am I an old wineskin or am I a new wineskin? I'm going to finish in two minutes. If you need to go, don't, don't worry. Um, I just wanted to come back to this last bit which seems at odds with the rest of it, which is where it says that um, having had the old wine... 
That's it. No one drinking old wine wants the new, for he says the old is better. In my reading of this, the suggestion is that it's almost a kind of a bit of an ironic statement. It's not supposed to be an actual direct statement that, that people won't want it, but it is a recognition that sometimes we get very comfortable with what we know. Um, and we like old, old things. I, you know that I drive the Morris Minor, and we kind of value the kind of antique or the old things above other things. Now, that in itself is not wrong. It's not wrong to kind of love those things. However, what we have to be careful is that we don't apply that approach to our faith and to our church life so that we just prize all the old things that we've done. After all, if we'd prized all the old things, we'd still be probably you know, in the Church of England swinging incense, um, you know, saying particular prayers in a certain way. Sorry, that sounds so condemning of the Church of England, and I know actually, currently, a lot of the Church of England is not like that at all. But we have to be careful that we don't fix our own traditions and nobody's going to do anything different because this is how we do it. Um, we don't want to change just for the sake of it, but we need to respond to the life of Christ within us. So I'm just putting a little kind of warning there about our love of the old. We need to make sure that it doesn't lead us into a position where we can't accept the new. And I was particularly struck, a couple of weeks ago, Dave Marshall from Manor Mission talked about the various kind of prophets in the Old Testament who had absolutely fantastic experiences with God and walking with God and towards the end of their life completely missed it. And I think, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to get to a point where I've got complacent or I think I've, I don't know, got to some position and then completely miss what God is doing. And I'm sure we wouldn't want to be like that. I'm sure you wouldn't want to be like that either. So just be careful with the, with the old. Right, I think I've run out of time. So um, be adventurous. Be filled with the Spirit. <laughs> <laughs>